This is The Thirst Tank, presented by Trap Brewing Company. You want to communicate what you're doing, you know, not necessarily just to get people through the door, but just to be like, like I can't, even when people come for the dinners, because it's so many courses and stuff, like I can't stand and tell them everything about an ingredient or a dish when I serve it to them. It just becomes so tedious for people, you know, it would be... Um, but things like the YouTube channel is a, gives me a, a spot where I can go a bit more in depth into that and say, here's what I think is really cool about this ingredient and here's how I prepare it. And Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Thirst Time, the show that takes a deep dive into the careers and journeys of some of the most creative minds in the craft beer industry today. Now, that intro might need slightly changing for this next guest because we are actually heading out of the craft beer industry and into the culinary industry. Today I sit down with Chef Eddie Shepherd. Eddie is what I would say a, a unique character in the food and drink world. He's set up a restaurant which is in his living room, but he produces some truly magnificent food not just taste-wise, but just visually stunning. Um, and I really urge anyone listening to this to check out Eddie's Instagram, which is Eddie Sheps, just to get a feel for what this guy does. Um, yeah, there was loads of topics that I kind of wanted to speak to Eddie about that have a crossover into the beer industry. And I was kind of trying to straddle those two worlds. Uh, worlds. And hopefully there's something in here that is of interest to you guys and that you can take away. Um, yeah, I'm kind of following my own curiosity. I thought it would be fun to branch out into something different. And and it was. And uh, it was great to sit down to with Eddie to, to chat about his journey and how he ended up where he's ended up. Uh, yeah, okay. So, slightly different today. I hope you enjoy it. You are listening to Track Brain Co. Presents the Thirst Time. And this is our interview with Eddie Shepard. I think... I mean, I'd be, I'd be dead interested to know if this is similar in like the the beer and brewing world as well. But because it, it's it's quite a common thing in food that often people are sort of in the industry and kind of fall in love with it as they're already in it. You know, they kind of is it have... like a Stockholm syndrome? <laughs> yeah, 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 maybe, maybe a bit of that. <laughs> but I think that was sort of the case for me. Was there are you know there are important food memories I've got from when I'm young, and there are like certainly lots and lots from like more recent years but the actual thing about falling in love with cooking and uh food and sort of it as a craft and as a, a way of engaging with the world really like happened once I was already working in restaurants which yeah. had you know there wasn't like a moment where I was like my calling is I've got to go and work in a restaurant it was I, I really needed money, so I was working <laughs> in one already. And then you kind of... I, I think for a lot of people, they fall in love with a bit with the, like, the the environment, the adrenaline, yeah. like, you know, the, the ingredients that are coming in, the sense of, like, energy, and then you find your place within that. And then... Yeah, because I think, for me, it's funny because I never stepped into the kitchen world, but... Mm. The, they're one of the most exciting places to be. Yeah, I, I, yeah. When you go to, I'm not sure that every restaurant's the same or, you know, the, there's various levels to this, but 
you know, to, to name check old Sam at Where the Light Gets In. I went and yes. did an event with him and I felt like I was just like in a kind of heaven. There was just all of these yeah, ideas yeah. flowing, all of this amazing produce, this yeah. like team of people all focused on what is kind of uh, a strange endeavor really, which is producing this beautiful food that just gets destroyed yeah, and consumed. So temporary, in a very, yeah. It's such a temporary thing. Yeah. That's the thing I love and hate about food is right. that, that temporariness. There's, there's so much, like, I love the process. I, I, I particularly love like working on like the new sort of creative ideas, mm-hmm. but the real, like the thing that kind of brings it all uh, back to reality is that so often you, you work really hard on this stuff. And then the next day you're kind of starting from scratch again. And in fact, then that makes making time for the creative stuff harder and harder because you've, you're sort of on this treadmill of production that you perhaps, you know, you do obviously have to agree with drinks and stuff, but in a slightly <laughs> different, in a different way, you've got a bit more shelf stability there. Yeah. Exercise. So if you can go back into the early kind of Eddie days then where maybe it wasn't a passion for you, what kind of places were you working in and what, was there any, was it all transitional or was there a point where you were just like, oh, actually this is, really interesting like these because you've got such a curious brain so I'm wondering when that kind of engaged sure yeah I think so the first couple of years that I was working in kitchens was like so and I started when I was at university so Mm -hmm. at that point it wasn't really my focus but it was a job that I was really enjoying and I really liked the fact that I was doing I was doing a philosophy degree which I also really enjoyed but it's very (laughs) like it's very you're very in your own head and you're spending yeah. lots of time sitting and reading and then to go into this much more like frenetic environment and and with much more tangible results you know where you're like you you would be busy and you'd have a certain number of checks to cook and you would mm-hmm. have ingredients that needed to be prepared or cooked a certain way and a definite standard of like you've done that right or wrong which you just did not have in philosophy yeah <laughs> i guess there. a logic that you, you know there's a, yeah. there's a set of there's a set of parameters that you have to yeah. adhere to to get something over the finish line yeah whilst in philosophy it's literally yeah it was, look out a window so and abstract. think about it so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so at that at that point i sort of wasn't um i wasn't really thinking about it beyond the fact that i was enjoying it as a job and then when i when i finished studying i carried on working in kitchens because i was enjoying it so mm-hmm. much and i sort of thought well i'll figure out what i want to do whilst i'm doing this and I probably did that for about two years and was getting more and more into it and was kind of getting to the point where I was, you know, taking on more responsibilities in the kitchens and like was was definitely focused on getting better and picking up skills and stuff. But I guess I still didn't really see where it was going until, yeah, until about two years in probably. And I don't know exactly what the switch was, but... But I do, I sort of remember consciously thinking, oh, do you know what? If I'm going to kind of give this a go, if this is the thing I'm really enjoying and I'm like, I should probably, I should see how far I could take it if mm. I give it a hundred percent. And like at the time up until then, I think I was still doing, I'd been very into like music and was doing bits and bobs of that on the side. So I had these other creative pastimes. And then when I kind of made food my real focus and it became the thing I was doing in my spare time as well was I was suddenly like I was reading everything I could get my hands on and and going and working in other restaurants for free to kind of chase ideas that I was interested in and that that was the point where I kind of found 
the deeper I delved into it, like the more the more satisfaction I found and the <laughs> more interest I found and the more this world kind of opens up in front of you where you're like, oh, I could probably find my own kind of path through this and, and get really into the stuff I'm interested in. Uh, it's so interesting. But I guess uh, with this being, you know, like a, almost a crossover conversation, the, the correlation of, of people searching out experience with people that they mm. admire you know, a brewery is effectively a kitchen. You know, you look yeah. at your head brewery as yeah, a head yeah, chef yeah. and it's just like, well, what what are they doing? You know, why are they doing it like that? What, sure. why, how come they're producing beer of such a standard? Yeah. And I guess the beauty of that and also the interesting fact is that maybe they're all just stepping stones to get to your own thing. And not everyone takes that leap into their own no, thing. So sure. how, lo- how far down the line were you when you were just like, formulating ideas that felt like they were a path of your own yeah um yeah i think i mean so weirdly because i was doing plant-based food that that i I wasn't going to bring that up yet but yeah yeah, (laughs) we can go there well it kind of it kind of pushed me a little bit in a slightly different direction because because i kind of got to this point relatively i mean because i've been in kitchens nearly 20 years now really since i first started and certainly sort of like you know 12 to 15 years ago i kind of got to the point where i'd worked in the places that i felt i could go and get experience at either like full time or i'd gone and like worked for free and stuff and then the options for for the fact that i wanted to do tasting menu kind of quite creative like um I never know quite how to categorize it, but let's say like, like, you know, small, interesting, creative yeah. food. Um, and there weren't a load of places to go and learn that. So at a certain point you were like, there isn't someone else to just necessarily go and just train under. Yeah. So then I did this thing where I would, I was working in restaurants, but then I started doing things on my own in my sort of free time. So initially I sort of started writing up, uh, recipes and techniques that I was working on or, or like experiments that I was doing and I would put them onto a blog at the time and then sort of leading out of that I started working with a equipment and ingredients company who wanted someone to like test and do recipes for like lots of the new equipment that was kind of emerging wow. at the time so and this like, is like technical equipment yeah so yeah. things like what, the sort of period of time when like water baths were starting to come into yeah. you know you were seeing them in high-end kitchens already but then they were starting to want to kind of roll this out to like most restaurants and mm-hmm. even homes and stuff and so there was this there was this technology and and techniques and stuff out there but there wasn't quite the the information wasn't there yet yeah. to put it in the hands of, of more people and so that was sort of my job with this company was to kind of make more accessible kind of information and techniques. And um, and I was still, but that wasn't enough to kind of be your main job. So I was still working in restaurants and I would do this like basically on my days off. Mm-hmm. Or um, So that was sort of the beginning of all that stuff. And that, you know, again, is like over a decade ago. But once you start that being your rhythm that you're doing your own thing in your own time it's very hard to get off it yeah exactly like it's it's in fact i did at one point i did sort of think do you know what i'm going to just go back so i'm going to go and work in a restaurant that uh, and i'm just going to dump all this i'm just going to be 100 percent in this kitchen and i absolutely hated it (laughs) like i did it for like a month or two 
there were other issues with that particular <laughs> kitchen, but um, we won't go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it, so you you touched on something there that is really fascinating about what you did because you said plant based cooking, mm. but this is you know ten years ago, fifteen years ago, or something. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. you know, plant based now has whole aisles on the supermarkets and yeah, this, that, and sure. the other. But it wasn't a thing no, at no, all no. back then, especially in high end cuisine. No. So what totally. was what was it about that that you were pursuing? Was it just that you thought ingredients weren't getting the spotlight that they deserved, or was it environmental, or was it moral, or you know, where where what was giving you the energy to kind of pursue that? Yeah, I mean, kind of all of those things, I guess. Um, there was, I'd gone vegetarian for like a mixture of um, environmental and ethical reasons, and just you know, and kind of. Um, and wanting to try it and it it really suited me and kind of and actually got me more into cooking at the time that I you know the, and this is when I was at, at university uh, and then what occurred to me when I started getting more into the sort of the technology and sort of more modern techniques and stuff was the period of time where that stuff was really emerging like 15 years ago ish mm-hmm. you know and you had Heston on the telly a lot and you had uh, all these kind of there were felt like there was this series of exciting steps forward happening in food and so much of it was really based actually around like uh plant things that were suitable for like plant-based cooking anyway but it they didn't seem to be particularly being like it was never the centerpiece of the no no and it it just i know it seemed clear to me that there was all this room for like this underexplored area to be uh there was all this interest and potential and kind of no one really doing. <laughs> and how was it received it? when you were first? <laughs> <laughs> well, because it was like you said, there was no restaurants to go to no. to try and really exp- like a chef to work under that was really exploring these things. No, no. I mean, like so that when I was doing it, in addition to working in restaurants, the guys I worked in restaurants with would kind of like, uh, you know, I would say um, lovingly mock the fact that I was doing this <laughs> stuff in my like spare time and like, um, and yeah, there wasn't a demand really for it, like publicly. There mm-hmm. was sort of I would get lots of chefs interested in the stuff that I was doing because chefs were keen to learn new ideas and be able to improve their menus and add new vegetarian and vegan options, or or just learn the techniques regardless of the fact they were like, you know, suitable for plant based things because they just, you know, it was an area they were interested in. But compared to now, it's a completely different, you know, a, co- a totally, totally different, different world existence. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so when you, Jan, try and put this in the in the correct way, um, you're a little bit of a visionary, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, a oh, boosting, <laughs> yeah. Um, but you, I guess it's just interesting because you're taking such a technical, like a, a technological look at food like the processes that you were playing with and the things that you do now and i guess maybe we should just talk a little bit about what exactly you do like what how you would describe your food because someone listening to this might not have a clue no sure never heard of what you do blah 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 yeah um so how would you describe what you what you practice now so i'd say so the menu that i cook uh i would say is like a modern plant-based menu uh it's not really focused on things like the technology or the techniques, but they are sort of there in the background. It's very 
very focused, I would say, on the ingredients and yeah. a lot of use of like wild foods. And um, but then kind of not really hidden away, but there to to make that work is like uh, I use techniques that I think people would associate or or think of as being um, sort of modern even when they're sometimes not really or mm -hmm. they're not really that technological like I, I use a lot of like vacuum distillation which sounds more complex than it is but if you really think of it as a way of like isolating or concentrating flavors it really it's about minimal interference with the ingredients yeah. it's about how can I take something like um like rhubarb and concentrate its flavor without really adding anything else it, to yeah. it like, yeah still feeling it yeah 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 so in that sense it's like i'm sort of manipulating ingredients even at like as little as possible often but little careful touches of um interesting yeah so you're not trying to totally take away from what the, the ingredient is you're trying no. to enhance it through small yeah changes yeah as much as possible so like most of a so it's tasting menu that i'm doing which is generally like 12 to 14 courses and um most of those courses have sort of maybe three main flavors like they're not you know tend to be quite stripped back in terms of the number of flavors and components but then there'll be a lot of a lot of <laughs> a lot of hidden kind of work to try and get those flavors to be as well balanced and as intense as as possible mm -hmm. um which has taken me a while to get that, you know, I think definitely earlier in my career, I'd have been doing the thing of like throwing, you know, whatever new technique I knew at something or putting more elements in. But that's that's where it is now is kind of fairly, fairly stripped back, quite sort of uh, sometimes quite modern in its like uh, or quite abstract, perhaps in its presentation or, <laughs> or something. But um, but yeah, it's root. I'm using a lot of ingredients like um uh, wild ingredients, spruce, dandelions, nettles, uh, things like that. And then trying to kind of, but trying to give you something that will be really delicious. That's the key thing, really. <laughs> like, yeah. But, um, and maybe, maybe something you wouldn't have come across in that way before. Yeah. <sighs> There's so much I want to dive into, but <laughs> <laughs> there's another big reason why I wanted to, to speak to you about, um, what it is you do is a topic that keeps kind of coming up in conversation that I've been having with brewers and, mm -hmm. uh, and brewery owners is, and also, um, our kind of up the supply chain, like hop growers. Yeah. Um, is sustainability. Yeah. yeah now yeah. I have to caveat this with the fact that, you know, we aren't a sustainable business in the sense of, you know, we're not a B Corp or anything like that. It's just sure. purely like pulling the threads of fascination of just like where, and yeah. what can be done in this field. Now, sustainability for you is really fascinating because not just on the produce sense, but on a business sense, because yeah. we're sat at a lovely table here <laughs> in the middle of your living room. Yeah, yeah. But this living room is also your restaurant. Yes, yeah. So as we, you know, as we look at what a sustainable business is and what it is to be sustainable, you know, you've brought it right back to sure. to this almost like the simplest form which is yeah it's, a, a habitable space that then becomes a restaurant yeah 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 i wonder if you could just kind of talk in your thought thought process of how how you ended up doing um starting the walled garden yeah sure well um so some of it part of it was practicality so 
like we were saying, you know, even like I started here, like doing my tasting menu full time here six years ago. And even then, the demand was not quite the same for plant-based stuff. And also, I would have had a like uh, some level of reputation within the industry, within the food world, but not enough to like fill all the, the seats and stuff here or, or to suddenly be like, oh, I'm opening a restaurant and have it be full. So on a practical sense, uh, no one was throwing money at me to suddenly <laughs> open a fancy restaurant. And, um, and I, I also just thought, um, like yeah the, the advantage of working for yourself and in your own space and, and setting things up how you want it it really gives you like loads of control over how you want to work and actually and it gave me a lot of time to kind of figure out how I wanted to do things mm-hmm. here there wasn't instant pressure because I didn't have to do stuff like you know press launch and be like ready for everything like six years ago it's kind of it's been able to gradually kind of become more on people's radar over time whilst the food's got hopefully better and more dialed into my personality and um yeah so there was that side to it um and then also the 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 other side is that what I really love is doing the actual thing like doing the cooking being you know creating the menu and here being in our own space means that I have things like the the beehives we can see in the garden here and the raised beds out the front and all of that stuff can be truly truly here and a part of the 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 process you know so that i i'd be wary of saying that like you know sustainability is important to me but i certainly wouldn't say i'm like perfect on that that front always like trying to get better and it's it's in my mind with these things but the a big part of the motive was to have to be really engaged with all of the the processes that I'm yeah. using from like ingredients kind of all the way all the way through. But that's that's the kind of interesting point for me is that and I had a conversation with Bruce who's um owns a brewery down in Bristol and we, you know, spoke about the hardships that are facing current breweries, a lot of closing down and and it and we talked about like sustainability. And I, I was like, it's almost this accidental part of a business now, mm-hmm. I say accidental, maybe it's not the right word, but it's hands are getting forced in a way that it has to become sustainable because yeah. your electric yeah, goes yeah, up yeah. so much or your yeah. gas goes up so much. So it's yeah. like, how can we control sure. these parts of the business and, and bring it back into our control so we can function better and not yeah. have the, the, the fear of where the market's going to, run to and and you kind of fell into this purely I guess in a sense of just following your own passions and realizing that there wasn't anyone else really doing it yeah and that also this model because it's kind of crazy to just start a little restaurant in your house can you take us into uh... like how did that even like the first night what was it even like yeah it does it sort of sounds more nuts I mean like if it would be difficult to set something up like I'm doing it now totally from scratch like the 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 first year or two, it kind of got to gradually evolve. I mean, it started with less courses. It was more like initially, I thought oh, I'm going to do something that's more like six courses. You yeah, it would be not quite a full tasting menu. It'd be like um, quite quickly, I realised that really what I wanted to do was the kind of longer form tasting menu. I wanted to give people more things and work on like there were particular elements I wanted to add. 
but that would have been very hard to just do from a, a complete blank start from the very yeah. beginning. Um, and yeah, so it's had some time to to ev- evolve into what it is. But, but do you remember the first service? Was it was yeah. it like really nerve wracking and well, crazy? Did... Or were you just like, all right, I'm just going to let loads of folks into my house? I did some test services, like so. Okay. I did some friends and family ones first of all, and it was also it was a little different to start with than how it runs now. So for the first sort of two years, it was everyone sat around one big table, so ah, it was no more way. like this communal yeah. dining experience, which. Which I really enjoyed, but but a few years ago now it changed to being smaller individual tables, mm-hmm. and that lets you do something. It's allowed me to carry on being more creative with the menu, I think, and um, it, yeah, it was really that was also helpful in the early days because a group of people sat around the table all together, almost sort of self managing, you know, to a yeah. degree. It's like I could be busy in the kitchen and because people would be chatting with each other, they're sort of hosting themselves. You know, it took an element of pressure off me at the start. So they're all meeting each other, there's conversation going yeah. and you're not having to instigate all that. Yeah, Because exactly, again, yeah. we should should put in that when people come and eat here, it's just you. Yes. And Eve come and might do some um, service as well with you. But generally it's just you serving yeah. up the plates, yeah. cooking, doing mm. everything. Which is a lot of pressure. It is. But also, is, I guess, no. a huge enjoyment for you. It, yeah, it's really nice that it means that I get to, like, I get to meet all of the guests. I get to interact with everyone directly in a way that I, I wasn't getting to do in, in restaurants. And I definitely think that's a big benefit because it, it even makes you think about when you're working on dishes and stuff. You Like, you've always got in the real forefront of your mind the the experience that the guests are going to have and the fact that you're going to be right there with them through that. So it, it keeps you very kind of like, it keeps you focused on the realities of, of everything, I think. Um, and yeah, I, I really, I do really enjoy that side of things. It can be challenging in some ways. And now I've got my systems down and stuff again, like now I kind of, I know how to do it. And mm-hmm. if I, if I change a dish or two on the menu it becomes very challenging again <laughs> so i i can only change the menu very slowly that's the probably the biggest downside for me yeah. i think is that being on my own here i can't sort of have someone else just dealing with the prep or service whilst i go oh cool i want to work on this cool new idea it's like i've i've still got to get everything that needs making for that night made and so really creative time is these little snippets that you can kind of carve mm-hmm. out here and there but yeah, it's it's a really enjoyable way to 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 work, and I I like the fact it's a bit different too. You know, it's really different. And and again, just to give people a picture, we're we're in Wally Range in Manchester. It's not you're not in this huge country house in the no, middle no. of like the Peak District <laughs> or anything. Maybe no. one day. Yeah, one but it's day, just man. it's it's very um you know it's lovely, but it's very. Uh, I guess you'd be really surprised if if you came yeah. from out of town. You came in. It's like we are literally sat in your living room, like an open kitchen. Yes, yeah. and, and it's lovely, but it's not. It's not what, you know, what people might paint it in their imagination. That's no, just... no. From the outside, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know until you're really at the door and you can yeah. see the sign and stuff that it was anything other than a, a normal house. Residential house. Yeah. yeah. And then when everything is laid out down here, it, it does look quite restauranty within it, but it's still definitely not a normal restaurant <laughs> space. And, and particularly one of the nice things is like that in the summer guests will walk in up to the front door past those raised beds and 
you know, where I'll, I'll be getting herbs and stuff for the menu from there at the time. And if in the summer we'd have the back doors open, so oh, where so we're nice. sat is, you know, I don't know, three, four meters away from the beehives or something. Yeah. You can watch them coming and going. And um, yeah, that's cool. And I, I, more and more at the start, some of these things were constraints for me that like I sort of, I had to work on my own and this was the space that I had. So it's what I had to make work. And more and more you think far from being constraints, those are the things you want to really lean into and be like, well, what's unique is that I'm working on my own. You know, if you go to some, you know, high-end restaurants maybe with well-known chefs even like the chef might be there or might not be there the night you're there and that I'm, I'm not there's no judgment on that it shouldn't affect the quality of the food if everything's being done well mm-hmm. but um the difference here would be I mean 100% always <laughs> you know it's always it's always me that will have prepared everything, everything like every part is, of that dish is is you know, you've yeah. blood, sweat, and tears gone into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you yeah. smile a lot though, so maybe more, more happy. <laughs> I, I try and keep it balanced. I, I mean, I also am aware I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky to get to do the thing that I love. You know, it's the yeah. it's the the craft that I'm really passionate about. So I, th- I think most people don't get to do the thing they're most what's passionate it, about for their it, job. I always find that an interesting point because it's not a happy accident that you've ended up with. Like. You, you sure. put in a lot of time and work into it. So it's yeah. it's something that you've pursued, actively mm. pursued mm. to better yourself and your understanding, I guess, through a curiosity. Yeah, yeah, in, very curiosity driven, yeah. I think, along that. like, And your food is is exactly that. That's probably how I describe your food, very curiosity oh, driven. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I quite like that. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's a nice way of um, putting it, I think. Especially because actually I think that is a nice summing up because often I end up talking about things like the technology or or things like that because they're they're some of the things that are more immediately sort of visible as something that's a bit different mm-hmm. here. But in general, I'd say actually time and interest wise, it, it's not the thing that most of my time and interest is going on. Like I'm I'm as equally interested in uh going out and picking the dandelion petals or like getting the, you know, finding a new wild ingredient to work with or yeah. trying to work with nettles in a way that people would find, you know, turn that into something really that feels delicious and luxurious. That's those things. And, and also even just like the sociable aspects of service and stuff mm-hmm. are like are just as much of interest to me as like whether or not I should freeze something with liquid nitrogen <laughs> or, you know, it's uh... it, uh, it is incredible. The, the, food you know I've, I've luckily sampled a few dishes when i've popped around and uh when we've been talking about doing our collaboration because mm. matt our head brewer is i would say he's very curiosity led and the mm. model that we kind of set up as a brewery was one that is curiosity led really you know yeah. i've brought you a beer here which is our new beer exploring like thialized yeast which i know you would love to geek out on but this I, guy I, yeah this guy so this is with our so Shall yeast supplier a bit of it we, we can have a little um, but this is technology that's happening further up the supply chain that we're, you know, trying to introduce and it might work and it might not work. That happens in beer as well as food. So is that a kind of similar aspect to what you do with food? You might see a new technique or a new ingredient and you explore it and you try and find points that you think work. Yeah. Is there anyone that likes comes to mind where you started one way and ended up in a totally different place? Yeah, that happens a lot. Like, um, so I, I try and cheers. Yeah. I, I try and um, 
hide as much or not hide but i try and have all the experimentation and stuff happen a, a big distance before anything will get served to people so yeah. um i would never serve anything to anyone where i'm like this is a bit of an experiment it, it by that by the point it goes it's on the reached. menu it'd be really tested yeah. and and i'll have i'll have tested it and then tried to refine it to the point i think it's ready and then I'll have given it to other people to taste, like certainly my fiance, and then like you know anyone that's in and out or something. I'll be like, oh, just just try this, see what you think. And um, uh, but that that sort of process and the research side of things, or, or working on new ideas, is something I really enjoy. It's quite become more and more like long form for me. That mm -hmm. I think. So what if we go into like timeline of dish sure, reaching yeah. menu? What are we, are we talking? Uh, like often months, it's six months uh, now. Six or months. Yeah. Wow. Quite often. I mean, some of that that's not like all active <laughs> time working on things, but that's sort of, you know, often from like an idea, and then I'll work on it a bit, and then I'll just be too busy, and it mm -hmm. gets kind of put to one side, or or there'll be aspects that need, um, you know, some of the dishes where I'm using like homemade misos. Well, some yeah. of those have to ferment for at least three months before they're even like minimum three months. So the, there's a dish on the menu using a blue algae miso. Which is insane. Which, oh, cheers. Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I really like that dish. Now it's ready. But like I was first playing with that in like January or February last year. And then it went onto the actual menu like the end of August or something. So it, it took that, that amount of time to kind of get it. I mean, that, that maybe is unusual. It took a bit longer and that is probably something that will stay on the menu for a long time. <laughs> like I knew there was something really interesting there. So I, I probably worked even longer on it or kept tweaking it rather than just shoving it on the menu when it was, you know, when it was good, but not a hundred percent. I feel like this is a good time to talk about presentation because mm. I, I know I'm fanboying and stuff here, but like, you're an artist when it comes to, to that. And, and when <laughs> we're talking about the six months of just the process and, and stuff, when is presentation coming into your mind? And also like just to sure. flip back to one of the first points we made of just seeing someone, you know, it's, it's a small, your dishes are small and just like basically yeah. having one bite or yeah, yeah, like, they're often really and they just tiny. disappear and you're yeah. just like six months worth of work. Sure, and yeah. for that one moment of someone kind of sitting back and just going, wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, I mean, that's, that's also, I guess, partly how I like to work. Like I'm very, I am very, I'm very jealous of places like, um, where the light gets in. I think that the way they work is incredible. This like hyper seasonal, turning over really creative ideas with exactly what's in season at that moment. And it get like a lot of stuff that they can grow. And there are elements of that in what I do, but practicality wise I, I just can't, can't. work quite but could that you because i don't think that you're that kind i think there's different minds when it comes to this yeah kind of i don't think i'm i'm as good on like spontaneous creation yeah i think they i, I think for instance they I, I think anyway like do it like incredibly well at being like we've got this thing today it's like perfect now yeah let's get it on the menu tonight and um and what are we gonna do and they'll do something incredible <laughs> and you'd be it. there just like Give me six months. Yeah, exactly <laughs> that. I'm like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to need a long, long time to think about this. And then, but then hopefully I will kind of, I quite like taking my time over that stuff and tweaking things and plugging away at them. And then, and the, the presentation of things will often run alongside the flavor development. So that's the other thing with spending a long time on things is that often 
stuff like that blue miso like i knew the presentation was going to be important because it's yeah. got this this kind of ludicrous bright blue it's color that you wouldn't it looks think absolutely is, insane yeah it's it's, yeah. it's mad. it doesn't look like it should be natural let alone edible and like it's it's not often you get a ingredient like that that's sort of new to me to work with mm -hmm. and then the fact that first of all i had to figure out how to ferment that into a miso and then and the fact that that worked was like you know often those things you could wait three months and then taste it and it's just like it's just not it's that enough. good yeah. yeah so the there's a few real strokes of luck there and then figuring out what elements that's going to pair with and what the flavor profiles are going to be uh and at that kind of point is when i started thinking about presentation because i knew if you've gone to if you've gone to all this effort and you've got this very unusual like color and and flavor of the sea along with it like it's really gonna you know it's it's really going to kind of live or die by how it how it's presented it, yeah how it's presented how people interact with it too you know so i i often now work on those things sort of at a certain point once i'm confident something is like a strong enough idea that it will make the menu then you're then thinking I'll about just, how and how yeah. do you because again they are works of art if anyone wants to check it out check <laughs> eddie's uh instagram out because we can talk about photography as well, which you do oh, all yeah, in-house uh, yourself. Yeah, we, the problem is if we talk about photography, we'll, we'll probably lose we'll ourselves for a while. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there is a real deliberateness to the, to the dishes once that they're executed in a very particular way. Yeah. Um, I, are I, you planning that, like literally drawing it out and, and seeing how it's going to fall? Are you just practicing and practicing more? I'll, I'll do a lot of tests runs of things like little i mean again I, i'm making it sound probably more thought out than it is often but like i will like i knew for, for that blue miso dish i knew that i had these really nice glass bowls that i knew i was going to use mm -hmm. for it and then i was messing around with one day with like putting them over ice and putting a light under the ice and you got this underlit element and as soon as i'd seen that i was like right well i know i'm gonna do that because it looks, it, it looks yeah it looks great <laughs> like that's um so then you'll, you'll have little elements like that as you're working on it but also like i say because i can't turn over my menu that often maybe if i was doing a much quicker turnover of the menu i wouldn't have that time to work on it as long on a dish and also perhaps you'd be thinking well look this is going to be on for two months so you know i'm sinking time into this but now I, I will tend to think if it's something like that, that I think that'll probably stay on the menu for like years, I would guess. At yeah. least a couple of oh, years wow. for sure. Like, um, so then I think, well, I can put six months, I can take six months to get this right and then put it on the menu. And then I will, once it's just right, I should then be able to just follow my own recipe. I pr keep presenting it the same. Like I then guess it the becomes like a, a, a making it yeah and thing. i guess the other thing that you don't have to necessarily contest with is the fact that not many people are coming back twice not out no, of sure, not sure. out of not wanting to but like there's i don't know 12 covers is there eight to 12 uh, covers eight to ten eight usually, to ten yeah, covers yeah. um you know you booked it for a long time yeah so th there's no sense that you have to kind of like right we might have the same people who came two months ago coming in sure we need to change it up for them that no, experience it's, it's, is going to be individual yeah, for that person every that's, time that's definitely what it's designed as like, i do have a few people that come back more regularly but they sort of i guess have to come on the understanding that like you know if they come in january and then they come again in april 
you know, the, I would hope there'd be like maybe a new dish on the menu mm -hmm. or like, or maybe even two. But equally, depending on where things are up to in their development, like maybe the menu is going to be pretty much exactly the, the same. And I think, but then I think most people, if they do want to come back, they kind of, they know that they've got that in there. Yeah. You know, as long as they understand that's how it works. You are listening to Trap Brewing Cup presents the first time, and this is our interview with Eddie Sheff. So cool. <laughs> the, uh, I just had it before it fades out my mind because it's always hard when you're uh, having these conversations because a million things like crop sure, up in my yeah, head yeah. and I'm like, oh, yeah. just, uh, but I never want to like just interrupt. But there's a great story of uh, Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan meeting and um, Bob Dylan was like, oh, how long did it take you to write Hallelujah? And he's like, five years. Right. And he's like, right. And, he, and and then London Cohen goes, how long did it take you to write I and I? And he goes, five minutes. And it, it, and they're just yeah. that two different creative zones. Yeah. of just like, you know, when you were talking about Sam at White Like It's, and it's just, you know, for me, I'm very kind of like spontaneous in the fact I'm just like, I want to make something and I want to put it out as soon as possible. Sure, sure. But then the methodical part of creation, like my wife is totally different when it comes to writing or something. Would take, right, she'd right. take years over painting over something. Yeah, just interesting how it works. And yeah, I guess it also you kind of like you find then processes that work for you too, right? So I was probably a bit like this already, but then the nature of how I'm doing service and the space that I'm in and 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 the the sort of the the specific things that I have to do in order to make service work here mean you start leaning even more into that, you know? Because mm -hmm. because like I say, I know if I change even changing one dish on the menu service that night is dramatically harder because my rhythms are all off. I, I kind of have to know where I need to be in the kitchen at any one time. Cause yeah. it's almost so like choreographed in the way that you go. Yeah. I mean, even just knowing like the timings of say, cause I've got to bring the food out and clear it off people's tables and chat to them while some, you know, so I kind of have to know it has to be almost second nature that I know, right. I, put this thing on now and then at that point I go and clear these tables and by the time I'm back it's right so that that has to be happening almost subconsciously at a certain yeah. point otherwise it's just too too much to do <laughs> so it kind of pushes you then towards being like well yeah sometimes even if an idea is really like is, is pretty good and nearly ready to go you're like I can't just put it it's not on. it's too it's big a thing too yeah yeah and we talked a little bit a while ago about the fact that you introducing any new element into this place, save a person. Like yeah, you, sure, if you were sure. to get a sous chef or something like that, yeah, it suddenly changes everything. Yeah, and it and it, and it removes itself from what the kind of beauty of it is. Yeah, I think it would make it quite different. I can't imagine that I would. Yeah, I can't imagine having someone else work with me in the kitchen like that. Um, not that it wouldn't be lovely in lots of ways. And, and you know, but even like a waiter evolve, or something like that, I guess, yeah. just changes everything. It would, yeah. I think, um, yeah, I'm more inclined to lean further into the, like, it's kind of, it's quite interesting when you, like, once you're working in a particular way anyway, it's sort of interesting going deeper into that and exploring mm -hmm. more like how, um, so for, I mean, it's only a few years ago that we got the, bees and that felt like a big extension of like well how how much can can be made in-house that mm -hmm. that's a big part of everything is like i really try and make 
really everything from scratch here. So like we said, like the misos, you know, I'm distilling my own gin for the gin and tonic at the start of the dinner. I'm making my own tonic for the gin and tonic, you know, it's, and, and then having things like the bees for honey, all of these have been like ways of getting, you know, rather to a certain extent, rather than making life easier, like almost leaning into the stuff yeah. that's like, that's difficult and challenging, but also makes it like, I just don't, there can't be, I don't, don't mean this to be, sound like up myself or anything, but there can't be that many places in the world where you could go and it would be one person making everything to that level, including harvesting the honey from their bees and stuff. And that, that to me, I think is kind of quite interesting to explore because of that. Like yeah. it's, you know, it's different. It's not, not necessarily better or anything, but it's just, it's, it's, it's own, it's, yeah. Well, you spoke a little bit about when you got the bees and stuff, and just about the un really understanding the intensity of work that goes into getting a single ingredient. Yeah. So when yeah, you talk yeah. about like the bees or getting honey sure. or something, you know, you can pick it off a supermarket shelf, but yeah. like to push back on that sustainability angle, yeah. just, you know, it's a lot of work for a single ingredient to yeah. use in as part of a dish <laughs> yeah it it is but but, one but of the a greater things, appreciation i guess built within that yeah uh, you you understand it so much more deeply also i think like you know you definitely get like the flavor is better for working in some of these yeah. these small scale ways but also it's kind of then interesting to like if i hadn't gone through all that work with like working with the bees all year means that honey to me is like has a really precious ingredient and so when it goes on the menu I want to treat it like a really precious luxury ingredient. Like, you know, that's to me is like more, it's going to be more precious than, I mean, not that I work with things like caviar, but you know, if I just ordered in something yeah. like that, despite the fact it's a luxury ingredient like this, you know, I don't want to waste a drop of that honey and I want to present it to people in a way that kind of lives up to how valuable and important I think it is and sort of share some of the magic around it with people and, <laughs> you know, chat to them a bit about the bees, what it, what it kind of takes to create that, why I think it's such an incredible thing. Yeah. And that again, you know, it's like, I guess okay, that's part of that leaning into this stuff. You know, I might not have some of the other luxury elements that a yeah. sort of a luxury restaurant might have, you know, there's no tablecloths, no one in a bow tie, like taking your coat when you come in, you know, there's not like some of the luxury you know, I'm not really using things like truffles on the menu, but then to me, that honey is more valuable than truffles would be or the... I love that. Yeah. And it's... So to bring it back into kind of the brewery world is mm. that, you know, there are more breweries exploring their own supply chain. So buying like fields yeah. to grow their own wheat. Oh, and that's cool. Yeah. yeah, it's just... It's, it's, it's small scale. But it is there. And then yeah. I, I guess, you know, the, the person that kind of launched me into more of the sustainability conversation is friend James Rylance, who's, um, he's been a brewer for a long time, worked at a lot of different breweries, lives down in Cornwall. And, you know, I think through COVID and stuff, was just like, I think it's time to, to go, to go alone. But like yeah. the thing that he felt was the most important fact that he wanted to shine a light on was sustainable practice within agriculture. Yeah. So the yeah, malt sure. that we buy and stuff is, you know, it's monocropping. It's yeah, yeah. pesticides, fungicides, all of all of the usual. Yeah. I mean, you know, Britain's got really good quality wheat in that regard, but maybe it's not good quality at all in the same sure, you know, because yeah. it's not 
giving back or it's not got the same relationship. But yeah. then, you know, the other thing is when when you do speak to people further up the supply chain, especially like hop growers and stuff, these are really passionate, I guess, yeah. farmers of any kind, are generally really passionate, super hardworking yeah. folks yeah. that are trying to produce the best product they can yeah. and want you to explore it. But it's so funny that you're your own farmer. Yes, <laughs> yeah. On, on some things, I mean, like, I definitely, there's there's loads of stuff I can't produce here or I can't produce in the amounts that mm. I would need. But even just the little insights does make you, like, really appreciate then the stuff that you're buying from other people. It makes you more selective. Like, you want to work with people that are passionate about the thing that they're they're producing. And, and generally, people like that, my experience has been that people like that, again, that kind of goes hand in hand with them wanting to be more sustainable and stuff. Because if you're not working on that, I think unless you're working on that huge industrial farming scale, then of course you're, of course you want to be able to, you want the soil to be healthy. You want to be able to continue to do what you do and do it in a way that isn't like just destroying the environment around you. And, uh, and, and I guess people having an understanding of the fact that like, those things take more work and probably going to cost more and like understanding why something might cost more. If you're just going to look at a product and think, well, why is this double the price of this other thing? And it's perhaps because you don't realize how low quality and sort of uh, where the hidden costs are with the thing that's, you know, a lower price and then how much work and passion goes into producing something you know, and it get, like very few people, I think, are getting, you know, crazy rich off like small passion driven like enterprises like this. But it's almost that sustainable model again, isn't it? It's just like if you can pay your way and, yeah. you know, not necessarily rake loads of money in, but you can live a sustained lifestyle that's. Yeah. And the one that actually gives you joy. Yeah. Like. And have a, you know, it, it seems like it shouldn't be. Um, it's really interesting to me this because it kind of relates to the one of the questions I get a lot from people is like, oh, so when are you going to open a restaurant yeah. or when would you want to and stuff? I just I think it's an interesting sort of like cultural, like expectation or, or psychology thing that like this, the idea that everything should be driven towards scaling up. Mm-hmm. It and happens it, again to correlate with the beer world. That is like exactly. Yeah. happens all the time. But it's, yeah, it seems, I mean, and, and of course for some people that's going to be the right thing to do and that's yeah. what they would want to do. But I also think, it's sort of people almost sometimes look at you weirdly when you're like, no, what I would really like to do is for the, to continue to do the thing I'm passionate about at a level that it can sustain itself and it can be like, a, you know, a decent living. But I'm, I'm not looking to like, I'm not looking to scale up to the point that I no longer have to ever step into a kitchen. Yeah. And I like swan about in like a, you know, big tall chef's hat and tell people what I want them to do. You know, that, that's got, you know, it's <laughs> not really got any appeal for me well is it you know this is a point i've kind of been wanting to get to is that if we start looking towards the future Mm. um and you know in the food scene i guess you have a big article by renee from uh noma about Uh, the fact that just this this model this way of working is just not yeah business sustainable you know they've they're obviously that's the best restaurant in the well was Voted best restaurant in the world numerous yeah, times. Yeah. Um, something that you would imagine is at the height of its powers that you pay yeah. a lot of money to go sit down, but 
the labor intensity that goes into it, the amount of different chefs, the amount of, you know, and yeah. again, wanting to pay the farmers properly, all of these kind of things feed into a model that looks almost defunct. Yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting to see what happens now over the coming years with that, because I, I, I don't think that we'll see that type of dining and restaurant disappear. You know, I think there's always going to be kind of a place for it, but what maybe percentage of restaurants operate like that or what percentage of kind of new, you know, perhaps if you were young ambitious chef that was about to open their first thing now maybe the model you'd look at is different mm-hmm. now you know like especially given again we're you know financial crisis and just coming out of the pandemic you know everything that's happened uncertainty about the future changing like also people sort of changing what they want in an experience like i, I think it would be interesting to see if we see other other models of things like coming about and you know and again also like for i don't know for young chefs and stuff or you know for someone young and talented and at the point they're going to do their own thing it seems mad to me to a certain extent that you then just have to wait around for someone to be like well i'll like sort of i'll pay the tens hundreds of thousands of pounds to set up a building for you and stuff like when we've got social media and the internet and stuff and like of course you have to then there's lots of things you still have to have. You have to either be lucky or, or able to make things work in terms of a space and, and things like that. But it's, it is kind of also more doable than ever mm-hmm. to set something up, even if it's like, I mean, again, like you have, you have people in to do pop-ups and things yep. at, at track loads, right? Like it's possible to do these things without even having a, a home, a permanent space for your, like for your business. And, be really interesting to see what comes out of those things and maybe if those also free people up to then look at their menus and creativity differently too like you know what their what they want to focus on is perhaps going to be different mm-hmm. yeah it'd be really interesting to see what happens yeah really interesting i i wonder if you know this model i mean maybe i'm just not versed in it but it feels relatively rare in the culinary scene it actually becomes more and more uh, ubiquitous yeah. to a degree, you know, maybe small like holdings that. in different yeah. places where there's a real reliance on their own, your own, you, you know, you're in charge effectively yeah. of a lot of what you're doing. Yes. Which yeah. is a really more than I would be even in my own restaurant, I think. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Like it's, it's, yeah, that, that I think as well would appeal to a lot of, a lot of people. Like it, you know, going like in terms of starting their own thing up. So yeah, I mean, I'd be I'd be dead interested because there's there were there was a period of time where there was more people doing things like supper clubs, which yep. is a kind of less formalized version. And it's I just guess what, what maybe once or a couple of times yeah. a month, yeah, or something yeah. like and that. Not their like full time job. Yeah. So this is my like, you know, this is my entire income and full time, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> more than full time work really. Like, um, but it's yeah, I would love to see more people doing that and doing it in their own way. Like I wouldn't expect, like, well, I've you just, know, you make just the model had a, your own. Yeah, I just had a flash, um, you know, Manchester Finest put on the other day that a couple who've, in fact, Callum, who works in our tap room, was telling me uh, he went to it, which is, you know, a couple in their flat have quit their jobs and they just make like chia butter based sandwiches. Right. So they <laughs> right, bake their right. own bread and then they, but you literally text them and say, can I have this sandwich? And then right. they, come down and meet you outside and hand you your sandwich you take a payment so it doesn't necessarily need to be you know what you're doing is very advanced sure but it might just be sandwiches or something like that but 
But again, I guess taking things into your own control. Well, it's cool. I mean, the other nice thing with stuff like that is that then you're also like, it. it's just interesting. It's it's because you're, how people find you is going to be totally different. Mm-hmm. You're kind of going to be really dependent on like your reputation and stuff. Because like like with that example, you know, if you didn't have, I, I don't know about them, but I presume they've got a great reputation because otherwise the idea of going to someone's flat and buying a sandwich yeah. off them, you'd be like, yeah. Well, Callum, that. Callum like, found it really, he was just like, yeah, it was like a drug deal or something, but you get a sandwich <laughs> at the end yeah, of yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's, I mean, very cool though. And also a way of like people getting to try and test out things and start things up without, without having to jump in at the point of having all the money lined up for a premises and having the overhead yeah the overheads ordering like you know ingredients in and things and and maybe and immediately having a spotlight on you because i think a lot of places if they do have a bricks and mortar thing now kind of have to go by this model of getting like getting press in straight away right Mm -hmm. like so within your first couple of weeks it's like you would have all the local food press in which you know that's a lot of pressure to be like what week two and you're like now i feel ready for everyone to see very publicly like i don't know and with a whole new team or yeah yeah it would take me a time to really get comfortable (laughs) in what i'm doing and like you know and feel also like yeah this has now evolved into the thing i i want it to be yeah um, it'd be interesting you know i guess with the the stranglehold of overheads at the moment you know i wouldn't want to you know, a big venture now and your electric bills and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Sorry, I know it's a boring topic for anyone listening, but does this push people into a similar model of what you're doing? It'd be fascinating to see yeah, what, what it, comes out it of would. it. would. I'm sure you'd see that similar things in like the drinks world and yeah. stuff too. And, you know, and again, it, it's not necessarily as simple as just like starting something in your room because there's things to do like, you know, on the food side, like, everything here's all food hygiene registered and inspected and things like this but still doing that stuff if you've got a background in that industry like you'd have the understanding of how to do those things and get it started off or it's a chunk of it's a chunk of work but it's work that's doable Mm -hmm. you know you you compare like getting like when i first got all here like food hygiene registered and registered council and all these kinds of things that versus the amount of time that would have gone into like finding a site and you know like the workload is comparatively i mean they can't really be compared right yeah (laughs) it's um yeah and i've got a total uh, you know commend anyone that's you know friends um richard and joe and dan are starting higher ground oh yeah and you know they've got menu looks amazing yeah menu looks incredible you know simple beautiful ingredients that you know but they've also tried to take care of their supply chain where they've you know, they've got a yeah. farm, Cinderwood Farm is, yes. the whole premise is that, you know, the restaurants work from the farm and it's all seasonal and yeah. there's a beautiful... Well, they're sp- kind of a good example of some of doing things in a different way as well, because whilst it's, it's they're about to open this, you know, big, I, I can't remember how many covers it is, but I think it's a like decent number of covers. covers or something yeah, like so that. it'll yep. be a big, you know, busy restaurant, but they went from, you know doing their they sort of started off with this pop-up version that yep. they did and then they opened their like wine bar where food was a big part of it but it wasn't you know like a yeah. rest without a proper and... kitchen like joe's cooking yeah, yeah. on a little induction <laughs> yeah, hob yeah. making like ridiculous food for 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 the yeah. area that he's got to use yeah and then but then that's quite organic the way it's kind of grown now to the point that they're doing this again it's not like they've just jumped in no. it's not like they've just arrived and they're like 
cool, we're just going to open from, you know, a sort of standing start this. So again, you know, maybe that that's a sort of um, perhaps we're going to see more of that, yeah. that sort of things, things evolving into their finished, like, you know, and different people have different um, ambitions. Like I say, for me, I can't really, I can't imagine wanting a restaurant space in the, in the city Center of Manchester. Yeah. yeah, I think if anything, I would want to kind of continue the way I'm working, but at some point maybe move a bit further out and have more space <laughs> yeah. to like grow things and stuff and um, become more inaccessible. <laughs> like, but, more of um, a hermit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like, perhaps not the hermit thing because one yeah. of the things I do love is like, I do love the social aspect yeah, of, of people coming and like it might be that one thing I'd love to do one day is have a bit more room so that people could come for dinners and then be able to like stay over in some way and Amazing. like stay and have have more space for growing things but also perhaps extend that into a, a bit people having the ability to like come and visit and maybe do something during the day where they get to interact with the growing stuff or foraging and have dinner in the evening and stay over and then um... but yeah well, it sounds like people's... an absolute dream man I'll yeah, be there yeah, yeah, else. yeah yeah um something we haven't really touched on which would be nice to to spend a little bit of time on and as i kind of said like the way that you put your work out into the world you know as much care goes into the dish goes into the photography and the, the digital side you know you've got your own youtube channel of which you kind of do little i don't know how educational videos and of like yeah, how you yeah. achieve what you do recipe videos recipe and videos of um throw to keep it interesting yeah video, bits of other topics all food and drink topics but little when did that become an important part of what you were doing or was it purely out of love that you just was like well again you're your, your own boss with all this so yeah, I, yeah, like yeah. i need to put something out there there is a bit of that like because even though even though the demand like outstrips the reservations that i've got like a by a, a large amount at the minute so there's kind of not the need to do it for promotion at least in the now mm -hmm. but it is also but i i think things don't have to be as straightforward as that. Like it's good. You want to communicate what you're doing, you know, mm -hmm. not necessarily just to get people through the door, but just to be like, like I can't, even when people come for the dinners, because it's so many courses and stuff, like I can't stand and tell them everything about an ingredient or a dish when I serve it to them. It just becomes so tedious for people, you know, it would be, um, but things like the YouTube channel is a, gives me a, a spot where I can go a bit more in depth into that and say, here's what I think is really cool about this ingredient and here's how I prepare it and or here's what I'm passionate about about mm -hmm. this and if people are coming for a dinner I've had a lot of people now increasing number of people say they'll have seen these maybe in the lead up maybe they've got a reservation and then looked at some of them and it gives them an understanding of some of the the dishes and the processes and the thought um and that, or then otherwise people that maybe won't or make it for a dinner or the further away you still get to share some of these things you're putting a lot of work into so you know, again like that you know it probably won't be out for a month or two but I'll do a video about that blue algae miso dish because I think it's really interesting and the process is a bit unusual and it it's it'll be cool to share this thing that all this work has gone into mm -hmm. sort of share what you're doing with other with other people so that's like a fun, uh, it's a fair amount of work, but it's like an extra, it's another way of sharing and like giving people a deeper understanding. Of yeah, what and they can go doing. away from 
eating here and check that out like you say because yeah, you can't yeah, dive sure. into the technicalities of no, how not you came not about everything it. in the way i might want to you know so. it's at the start of this year i was trying to think of you know what you know what what do we do like the, the, the again to use the cost of living crisis thing but you know like where effectively an element like kind of luxury-ish product you know yeah, it's not sure, you, sure. you could buy a can of stella way cheaper than yeah, you could yeah, buy yeah, a can yeah. of yeah. sonoma you know yeah it'd be an error but you know, yeah you it would could, be a total yeah. error but um it it was in my head kind of thinking well maybe we need to tell people why you know like if, yeah. we're, if we're just producing the beer and putting it on the table with no nothing behind it sure. it's like but i know you know, we're eight years into it now. That's yeah. like for every beer that we put out, that's eight years worth of, you know, it's yeah. been, Matt's been the head brewer for six of those or something like that. And he yeah. came from just a total homebrew background and then started, but that's six years of his evolution as a brewer. Yeah. And, and the yeah. team's evolution as brewers. Yeah. And, you know, my evolution is like photographer or, or yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. And then the evolution of the hop growers and the yeast suppliers, you know, yeah. there's, there's all of these stories and Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of that is like, it is this kind of, to a certain, it's all this kind of work and knowledge and stuff that's there. Mm. And like, but it's, it's there and it's, you know, it's shareable to a degree, you know, you buy like you're chatting to people and sharing information that way. And I'm sure like people that are like, that are interested in the beer and knowledgeable would understand a lot of this stuff, but it's kind of my thinking with this stuff as well was it's sort of mad that you've got like, you've got this kind of wealth of stuff that is only really access relatively inaccessible. You know, it's mm -hmm. like a, like it's, yeah, it's like, it's kind of mad not to try and share it. A bit like further. bring people in. Yeah. The level, especially like you say, the level of work that's gone into it, the level of expertise and the detail is some of the things that people would be really fascinated by. Like, yeah. you know, when you showed me around the brewery, like, you know, my knowledge of beer isn't good. And like, so it's, it loads of it is fascinating to me, but, but also, especially when we went into things like the barrel aged beers and yeah. stuff like this, or, you know, talking about, uh, like, different um you know different bacteria and different processes and things that are used like that's so fascinating yeah and you can't do that over the you know you can uh, put a little bit on the bottle or, or yeah you can yeah. do you can write a little blurb and stuff but it doesn't get dive into the technicalities no. in in the same way yeah and yeah, explaining how those relate to flavor and so you know yeah. like just things like that being able to say well we do this and we do it this way because it gives this particular flavor profile or because yeah. we want this particular characteristic and want to lean into it and stuff is like, yeah, really fascinating. I think it can help with how much you engage with the, the finished product then Absolutely. as well, the food or the, or the beer or the, you know, you, if you not only are able to pick out like tasting notes and stuff, but also be like, Oh, and that, and I know why that process like that. Like, yeah. 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 It's uh I guess that's the beauty of working in an industry where you're creating something from raw ingredients mm. to something else, like in and manipulating in a I don't know manipulating the right word, um, but that's I don't know I, that that's the fascination for me, and it's kind of what this podcast has almost become now is an extra layer of detail either into people's stories and why they've been driven to do certain things, or yeah. just on you know for instance again this this stylized beer I sat down with. Felix yeah, which is delicious from, from, from uh, WHC Lab and just spoke a little bit more about yeast, you know, just like yeah. that one ingredient and 
Yeah. Man, we, we we spent an hour on it and it felt like we should have spent a day on it. It's just <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you can lose yourself to, oh, to this man, kind of stuff. I, I can totally imagine stuff like that. I mean, one of the, like, uh, koji is one of the things people are having lots of conversations about in food. Yeah, I, you know, have been for a few years now. And that's similar, like, you know, you think... With that, so coming up is uh, this big online like Koji really? festival that will go on, and be like, yeah, it'd be like wow. weeks of talks and stuff. And it's, but it's amazing, you know, you yeah, because there's in theory, on one level, it's one product that you're talking about and, yeah. and one that probably a lot of people haven't even heard of. Like, yeah. but then the depth that you can go into and it only becomes more fascinating. I bet that's what it was like with deep diving into like yeast and stuff, right? That you yeah. only become more interested in it. It's like, yeah, that's exactly it. I, don't, I haven't really thought, but like, I guess the aim is to just get people more interested. Like, I love drinking or eating something where you just not wanting to pull it apart in a negative way, but yeah, just be like, sure. wow. Just wow. understand. I think it's like, it's like, I guess um, it's awe and wonder or something. It's almost. like being more in it, right? It's yeah. like, it's, it's you, you've got this, like, more in the world of that, that, mm. that thing. So it's, like it's not even necessarily just technical information and stuff, but just, you know, someone, you know, like if, you know, if we were at the brewery and you were telling me, well, we use this, we use this hops because and it's this particular flavor profile. Or well, we pick this because it's like, like all of that totally fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause it's, I, I don't have the background in it. It's like, it's really, really interesting and interesting to hear from someone that's like, an, an expert in this and it's a creative pursuit as much as a technical one you yeah. know it's this it's the craft it's the creativity and then like how you use like technical expertise to pull that off and have it be consistent and stuff like i don't know, i think all of that stuff is super yeah. fascinating and you get that maybe when you're chatting to other people within the industry and stuff or people that are very like a, a actively seeking out that knowledge but to be able to put it out a bit wider and like package it in a way that's more accessible for mm-hmm. people to get into i think is yeah can only be a good thing right it's... yeah i hope so because that's what we're doing <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love that we've got into your philosophy degree now this is like the philosophy of uh, food but yeah again to draw on those parallels of just like you know there is industrial brewing you know there sure, is just yeah. like create a product make yeah. it the same every time. Yeah. And there's almost like a beauty in that as well, you know, just sure. being absolutely able to pinpoint accuracy, yeah. create something over and over again. But I like the Lucy, like the kind of Lucy, sure, Lucy sure, yeah. when you are smaller scale as a brewery, the reproduction actually becomes a really hard element. I don't know if yeah, you find that the yeah. same in, in food or you you can yeah. be relatively relying on the fact of what you're going to get at the end of it. No, you can't. Uh, you you can obviously like there's a lot of things where i try and have as much precision as i can on you know so we talked about vacuum distillation there i'm controlling like very set temperatures and even pressures that things are like uh, being reduced out or distilled at or or things like that but you know and i will measure some things down to you know i've got my little micro scale so you nice. can get really specific on some measurements and things but ingredients are always there's just variance between ingredients season to season even more so with wild ingredients so it's again that's kind of what makes it cool to me is Mm -hmm. this balance between being like you know what you want to get and you know your process and stuff but you have to also have that that 
craft and, and palette, sort of, I guess, as well. Yeah, yeah, and and be able to flow with that and like yeah, to sort of to to taste something or like bread. Bread's a great example because I'm making bread, uh, you know, like a lot. <laughs> and but for instance, now in the winter, that's totally different to in the height of the summer mm-hmm. because ambient temperatures are so different. You know, there's humidity is going to affect it and all of that stuff is the same bread recipe but i have to prepare it differently at different times of the year Mm -hmm. to get a result that i'm I'm happy with and stuff and that i like as an example because it that literally is by like touch and feel and stuff that you're doing a lot of that like you you have to physically hold and touch the dough and sort of know when it's ready at, at what stage and stuff and that is really cool you know i would yeah. i would miss that if i could even if there was a, w- a way that i could completely mechanize that and have it perfect every time i don't know you take it. a bit of soul out of the Absolutely. process and the i think the soul's menu. the right word yeah it was funny i asked that to uh to um a brewery eq in new york and and i was like if you could reproduce the same hop every single time you know like sure. grow it in hydroponics or something and you know what you're going to get does that still excite you and he cuz he was very science driven peter right, right. and he was like I don't think so. It's yeah. just kind of counterintuitive to... You'd to lose it. a bit of the life of... I, but I think there's something imperceptible that, that in the finished product as well, in the finished thing that, like... I don't know. I mean, and perhaps it's an illusion or maybe it's, a, like, a, a real thing. But I, I think if you... I think you can tell, you know, that something's had someone's passion and attention yeah. paid to it and, and it's not just, uh, like by the numbers kind of thing I, you know feels like there's life and energy in a finished in what you've made that like to know is sort of intangible it's very hard to put your like your finger on exactly what that is but i feel that with the menu like sometimes i can kind of i can tell even you know i guess you, you become very attuned to what you're doing as well and you sort mm-hmm. of you know when something is just like just kind of perfect and feels alive and like that the, even that the idea feels alive to you, you know, and that then when you're chatting with the people you're you're serving this thing to, I think more of that passion is going to come through, right? Because you're engaged with it and you're mm-hmm. excited about it and stuff. It's not just like oh, I, this. Yeah, and in doing so, it changes their perception of yeah, yeah what they're even eating. Well, I think that's a a beautiful place to to leave it, Eddie. Thank you yeah, so much cool. for for giving me your time. Oh, thank um, you. For it was a me real up. pleasure and honour to. Uh, sit across from you and talk all things food and production and stuff so and that's it another episode done Uh, a massive thanks to Eddie for taking the time to do that with me and I hope you enjoyed that one like I said it was slightly different to the usual but still I hope as interesting um yeah, it was it was a, a true honour to sit down with Eddie and, uh, and do that, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. So, thanks for listening, and massive thanks to Tom Coucher for producing this episode. We'll be back with another episode soon, um, and as ever, 